What's up, Gumbo listeners? Demetrius here with episode number 118, and I have Frank Yu, Director of Worldwide Sales Engineering at Fortanix. And Frank is a seasoned speaker, technologist, leader, and entrepreneur. He serves as the worldwide head of Fortanix sales engineering team, leading and building high-performing technical consultant teams, contributing to hyper-growth revenue goals across the globe. Frank has over 18 years of experience in sales, business development, consulting and training, and product management across various startups and established companies, including such companies as Rubrik, Commvault, and UpGuard. And in this episode, Frank gives advice to CIOs and why they should look beyond just protecting the perimeter. Details on how to automate your security practices as repeatable processes and why you should have full control of your data. So let's get right into this episode. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, Frank. How are you today? I'm doing very, very well. Demetrius, how are you? And thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. I am doing well also and glad to have you on Data Protection Gumbo. It has definitely been a while. You are a very busy man to to get a hold of and to, to get things scheduled. So I'm just glad that we're on right now and we are going to lay down the law on security, all things security, and maybe sprinkle in a couple of other nice, fun topics for the Gumbo listeners. What do you think about that? I'm looking forward to it, Demetrius. This is a, a, a fairly an honor to be on the on the show, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully having a bit of a chat around uh, security and data protection. So, so Frank, why don't we start off with just a little bit about Fortanix and also your role at the company? Yeah, cool. So Fortanix was a, a startup born out of the Bay Area. We are about a, a five and a half years old company now. Um, we really focus around, you know, how do we actually provide better or next generation security or data security platforms uh, for organizations in need of the sort of the new way of uh, paving your applications and systems uh, in the sort of the cloud era. Um, you know, traditionally, when we talk about data security, you know, we're talking about data at rest. We're talking about data in transit. You know, how do we go and protect the data and make sure that any of the data that's going you know, through the internet is safe in many regards. Mm -hmm. But now we're taking a step ahead in terms of how do we actually go and talk about protecting data in use, especially as many organizations are starting to think around artificial intelligence, machine learning, and some of the sensitive information uh, to be processed in the cloud as we all kind of learn how to... Uh, how to adjust to the new norm. Awesome. You you mentioned a, a few things there, but be, before we dive into those topics, I, I really want to you know speak directly to, let's say, a CIO or CTO right now, because security is just such a very, very hot topic. You know, it's literally on the forefront. Uh, it's on the front lips of the president of the United States and, you know, the whole cybersecurity push. And they're they're trying to make sure that they, you know, beef up infrastructure. And that's that's a huge push right now. You know, what advice would you give to, let's say, a CIO or CTO right now as it just pertains to, you know, security, cybersecurity and minimizing threats, just kind of a, a blanket perspective so we can go from there around, you know, kind of where to where to take the next question? For sure. I think one of the things that's, I guess, interesting, and I think certainly a lot of the CIOs and hopefully the CTOs are agreeing with me is that the scene of cybersecurity in general 
has greatly evolved since the days when we were protecting the perimeter. Uh, there's plenty of getting, uh, you know, uh, products and platforms that are out there protecting uh, or safeguarding your perimeter through firewalls uh, and and various other natures. But as the 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 world is shifting more towards the asset being data uh, in general, I think the focus has certainly moved from just purely protecting the perimeter to how do I actually now go and secure the most invaluable sensitive information that I have at hand, whether I be a CIO at a bank, whether I'm a CTO at a maybe a government uh, agency, as an example, or even, you know, let's say Frank Hughes Tire Shop, as an example. I mean, the valuable source is that I understand that my customers are going to come back to me and the day that I know that my information has been potentially exposed, um, you know, obviously is keeping a lot of the CIOs and the, CT the CTOs of organizations awake at night. So hence why I think a lot of that dynamics is changing. So, you know, I, I guess my advice, you know, maybe to some of the CIOs and the CTOs is look beyond protecting the perimeter, if that makes sense. Uh, look beyond protecting just your core infrastructure but rather liberate the idea of, I need to start protecting these individual data sets that are potentially sensitive. And that's where I think the, the starting point needs to be, rather than thinking traditionally at the, the chipset level or the actual network level, or actually at the server level, as an example. Protecting the data set means it, it doesn't matter where that data resides, whether it's on-premises, whether it's in the cloud, on the edge, you know, regardless, you know, what, what recommendation do you have? Let's say if data is in the cloud and it's in the public cloud, what, what are just some, some recommendations and things that sometimes are often overlooked that you think corporations and enterprises and just, you know, the, the normal guy out there that's working in IT, what, what should they mention in their next meeting? I think there's a couple of things to look forward to, Demetrius, in my opinion. Um, and the first thing is really, as you look towards public cloud, and when you try to map data security together, one of the things that really comes to mind for me is, you know, and we're all, you know, in this together, and I'm sure you are too, Demetrius, but it's really around the automation piece, right? If you start thinking around how automated your infrastructure can be, how automated your services can be, and provisioning of services to consume or even store data can be, you know, I think the number one thing that you need to start looking into is really around how do I then go and also automate my security practices so they become repeatable? Um, how do I make sure that I have to maintain the same maturity from a security level perspective across any of the cloud environments that I might be provisioned tomorrow that, you know, provides me the same level of security comfort between my on-premises environment and also my public cloud environment. So I think the first thing that you really want to start looking into is around how do I automate it? How do I have a repeatable process that defines my data security framework or practices that spans across the public or on-prem or a hybrid cloud environment. So I think that's the first thing to look forward to. But then the second thing I would also advise is really around, well, how do you then start thinking around multi-cloud scenarios too? Because let's face it, I mean, a lot of organizations are now starting to think around, you know, various other cloud service providers as a backup strategy, uh, but as a resilient strategy, if you will. And if you start thinking around 
well, I've only got to run everything in AWS today as an example. And I'm never going to be leaving AWS until, you know, let's say the end of the lifetime of my organization. You're thinking wrong, right? I mean, you're starting to now think around, well, hang on a sec. Well, what happens to my data if AWS is breached or if something happened in my environment in Azure or if something happened in GCP, what happens then? And then, of course, you start thinking around, well, I've also got a multinational company. I need to be able to run some of these data sets in different countries outside of my, let's say, local country that I that I reside my data in. How do I go and protect the data in those instances without losing control? And I think a lot of that really becomes, again, another question that you know really needs to be addressed by a lot of the CIOs and CTOs. But coupling those together really gives you a powerful sort of that. And I think that the right terminology is set DevOps um, or security automation is really the word that I think a lot of organizations are starting to use. But those are, I think, some of the trends or at least a lot of questions that I'm hearing from various CIOs and also VPs of security because the reality is it's no longer a siloed organization. Development teams, the infrastructure teams, the security teams all need to work together to be able to start running their environment in the cloud, which is enormous and also very agile and it provides all the benefits. But those are the things that you need to look into as a key aspect when thinking around public clouds. Okay. So, so you mentioned working together and... We, we've moved from the traditional and legacy way of, of silos, right? So, you know, we had a storage team, we had a backup team, we had the network team, and now it's sort of consolidated now, right? With, you know, cloud and, you know, everybody's learning, you know, a public cloud, right? So we have people going deep into AWS and GCP and also Azure, and you, you could literally get lost in all of the, the services that, each one of these cloud vendors uh, allow you to to learn and spin up in your environment the, the whole compute stack and storage and networking it's 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 a whole nother world out there and i bring this up because just specifically with software as a service and just the whole rise of you know applications and things moving to the cloud what is you know your view around let's say a cloud native approach and do you have any uh, recommendations, you know, if you have a completely cloud native environment, do you have any security recommendations or anything that the Gumbo listeners should watch out if they are considering going that route? Yeah, a, a very good question. And I think it's still a question that a lot of, I think, organizations and individuals are still looking for an answer for, to be honest. But I think one of the things that I find and, you know, to give you some perspective around uh, let's say keys as an example. I mean, when you're leaving your house, you lock your door and you're bound to take your keys with you so that nobody else knows where that key is, right? I mean, you always want to have control over the keys. And of course, we're now moving into a digitized world where mobile phones <laughs> are now even becoming a key, right, for you, for mm -hmm, your front door. Mm -hmm. But I think the reality is, and I think right. for a lot of the, hopefully the audience on this uh, on this show also realizes is, you know, the protection of that key is a very important piece from you potentially uh, losing any of the valuable items inside the house. And I think we all understand that at a very basic level. But the challenge that you start thinking around is as you consume SaaS, 
you're relying on potentially the vendor who's providing that service to you as a customer, as a consumer, or as an organization, and or you're consuming cloud services, uh, that the key potentially is stored inside that particular product or that particular platform. And that to me is really a no good scenario because at that point, if that potential SaaS application or that cloud service you know, were to lose or misplace the keys at any point in time, the challenge then becomes, well, actually, do I still have the full control over the keys that I had that encrypted the sensitive information in the first place? And I think a lot of those questions are really coming into light for a lot of individuals because as a, as a personal, you know, a, again, a, a, a person who is consuming a lot of the SaaS applications, whether it is through a mobile phone device or whether it's through my laptop or, you know, even for my organization, um, you know, the key things to think about is, do I actually have full control over the data protection mechanism or data security mechanism that is in place? Uh, and do I know that if, you know, a third party were to be potentially breach, right. do I know that I still have the ability to lock them down so that nobody can take any of my sensitive information is really a key question that you need to ask yourself before you start to embark on some of those SaaS journeys going forward. And I think some of the things around some of the, um, especially the the the, the regular regulations and compliance requirements that are coming in from a CCPA perspective, GDPR and so forth. I mean, those penalties are hefty. Now, for as an individual, they may not be as much, uh, but as an organization, it becomes a huge, huge fine, especially if you're losing 100 million records in a day due to some sort of a breach that happened. And it could have been something like ransomware, yeah. um, as we all know that is evolving. Absolutely. Right? And at that point, the question then becomes, well, do I have full control over the data that I own, or at least I host? And do I, do I have a mechanism to protect anybody from being able to access that sensitive information through the use of you know, various data security platforms is really, I think, the key when it comes to moving to a public cloud or to any of the general SaaS applications going forward. Wow, that, that was a lot. And one thing that ran through the thread of that was, do you have full control? Indeed. You Indeed. kept mentioning that. So I think we have our podcast title here, Gaining Full Control. Yeah. of your data, yeah. right? And so you mentioned ransomware and you also mentioned uh, a couple of other things around just cloud and public cloud, et cetera, and making sure that you understand you know, where that data is and also how it's protected. Let, let's maybe dive a little bit deeper into artificial intelligence because earlier on you mentioned AI and it's kind of a buzzword right now, but how, does, how do you see AI uh, coming into play just from a security perspective, is it going to, uh, you know, help corp corporations beef up their security or is it one day going to be, you know, sentient AI robots um, running around, taking over the world, as Elon Musk said back in the day? But um, <laughs> what's your perspective there, Frank? <laughs> well, uh <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger back in his old days. <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing, actually, I should probably go and watch that movie at some point again. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's twofold, right? Um, and I think with the rise of AI and probably to a certain extent, 
machine learning as well, has certainly accelerated some of the security, I guess, best practices based on the patterns that we see. So to give you some context, um, you know, and I was actually talking to somebody, you know, who's a very close friend of mine, and he was actually on your show, I think, okay. uh, a, a few months back. I know who you're um, talking about. Yeah, yeah, the, the person who mentioned somebody in Japan and was doing something over there, and I'm like, okay, hang on a sec, that might be me. But <laughs> Shout out to um, that guy at AWS. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, shout out, uh, Mr. R. We'll uh, see you soon somewhere. Um, but I think a lot of the AI and the machine learning has really given us the flexibility, and it's also given us a way of uh, I, I guess uh, I, analyzing any of the security events a mm. little bit more closely because okay. let's face it if you've got a thousand let's say systems or SaaS applications or public cloud infrastructure that's generating logs at let's say a million logs in an hour there is no way that one individual is going to be able to go through that in a day um, to be able to identify, well, where is the source of this attack happening from, right? And, and if they were wearing uh, a pager, they would never get any sleep. No. And <laughs> you know what? There's a very good quote about that. I mean, most of the security architects, and I hope all the, uh, the listeners on the show uh, also agrees with me. I mean, InfoSec is a 24 by 7 by 366 day job, mm -hmm. apparently. <laughs> I, can imagine. I, I would not want to be a sleeps. security guy. Not, no. <laughs> it never sleeps. Uh, it never sleeps. Uh, but the fundamental, I guess, point of this is that with you know the 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 adoption of AI and ML, it certainly allowed us to pinpoint to really what the security concerns are or the issues are to then be able to make that educated decision around right. Well. There is a security breach that's happening. We're seeing a lot of chatter on, let's say, my cloud storage device. Uh, and I can see there's been a few attempts to try and decrypt the sensitive information that is on this cloud storage. The ability for us to now collectively use the logs that were generated from it, and then, let's say, put it into the mixer. And in this case, it might be an artificial intelligence or a machine learning engine to then go and let's say, produce a, a very valuable information source or a report to go and say, right, well, this is coming from A, B, and C. You need to really focus on your parameter security. You need to start adopting some sort of a edge computing protection device or a software, um, and or you may need to go and update your, let's say, antivirus software so that you don't have any more, you know, sort of uh, the malwares that are being infiltrated into your environment. So it's really given us that, I guess, uh, a, 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 the advantage of being able to, you know, provide an accurate view and to be able to accurately pinpoint where the issues are as it relates to obviously data security in general. And I think that's really a huge, huge uh, step forward. Um, in terms of the security scene, just in general. I mean, if you look at most of the vendors, a lot of the vendors are now starting to employ that to provide better value for, you know, the typical CISOs, or if, if you're in Australia like me, then CISOs, um, and different security architects and security VPs, for them to have a better educated decision of what needs to happen next. So I think in that regards, it's a very, very complementary set of tools 
that will allow us to do our work a lot more efficiently. Mm-hmm. However, when you also start to think around AIML, AIML wasn't just purely developed for the security scene. Clearly, with the rise of facial recognition, yeah. voice recognition, I don't know if you played around with those mobile apps where you know, you've got a little video and you can change the face. And I'm like, oh, my God, I look mm-hmm. like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right, Sorry, yeah. Arnold. <laughs> I didn't mean to uh, <laughs> refer you too much there, Arnie. Um, but, you know, if you start thinking about that and you start putting that into context of healthcare, uh, let's say, uh, and, you know, maybe uh, we'll talk about COVID as an example. Um, you know, you're talking about X-ray images. You're talking about MRI images of patients to define whether this patient is okay or maybe not well. Um, Maybe you're talking about a machine learning logic in a anti-money laundering context where it's going through processing millions and millions of social security numbers as well as the different deposits and withdrawals that happened over the last month as an example to then go and spit out well, hang on a sec, some of these transactions don't look very good. I mean, there's plenty of tools that are leveraging AIML to provide better value and insights to many organizations. But the harsh reality to it is that it's also processing a lot of that sensitive information that, again, is quite valuable to many of the organizations. Once you start thinking around public cloud in that context, And that's where it becomes really interesting. When everything was behind your firewall, yeah, sure, maybe it was all okay. Just got to have to go and provide the right training for the, you know, resources who are working on that particular project, you know, the right clearances and all that kind of stuff. You know, you and I go through that too. But, you know, all the clearances that we have to go through and so forth. I mean, you know, those are the things that you need to go and provide training for. But once that lands in the cloud, once it now lands in a, a data center that is no longer under your control, that is no longer, you know, fully, uh, I guess, funded by you or by your organization. Now, all of a sudden, you've got to start thinking around, well, how do I make sure this application that's processing all of these sensitive information is not going to be accidentally leaked as it is being processed at any point in time? And I think that's where you know, some of the security concerns or some of the thought process needs to come in to start evaluating, is AIML really right for me? Is it really going to be right to be running in the cloud? And of course, I completely agree 100% with the whole elasticity and agility of the cloud. Yeah. But once you start thinking towards that direction, now you all of a sudden, you've got to start thinking around, well, what happens there? Like, how do I protect the data? that is being processed real time, how do I make sure that I'm not accidentally exposing someone's X-ray image, and it could be COVID or it could be anything, but how do I make sure all of that is secure as it is being processed in the cloud? And then how do I also share that information to somebody who's living, let's say, in Germany? Yeah. So that they can now continue the research on maybe pharmaceutical uh, drugs, Maybe there are clinical trials and so forth. And I think that's really where some of the thoughts are coming into play with this whole initiative called confidential computing. But that's where I see that. All right. That was a very, that was a very thorough answer there, man. I, I had so many thoughts. I am like, <laughs> I wanted to ask a, a data classification question and governance and privacy. And, you know, we could drill down and get specific into industries and verticals like financial services. And you mentioned healthcare. 
and x-ray images, et cetera, and just, you know, trying to make sure that sensitive data and that information that you have in your environment, that you might not know exactly where all of that sensitive data exists. And, you know, having AI and ML and having some type of, you know, machine learning model on the back end that's that's running out, it's searching for different keywords and social security numbers, et cetera. And you can do that on the backup side as well. So you won't affect production, you know, m- maybe rolling into like a, a personal question or two. I, I also heard that you recently started your own data security community blog. Why, why did you start that blog? And let, let's talk about it a little bit. Yeah, and look, I mean, I mean, I feel flattered because, uh, to, to be fair, it's nowhere of the scale of what the data protection gumbo is. Trust me, uh, this is a uh, it's small potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> gumbo is the gumbo is small potatoes. <laughs> well, then we'll, 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 I don't know, I don't know what the right word is. Comquats, maybe I don't know how small it needs to be, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I started off on this journey because I really wanted to become not necessarily an influencer in it, but really mm-hmm. wanted to educate the market or individuals around what does it mean from a data security perspective. Um, and it was kind of nice. I was on another blog, uh, uh, sorry, another podcast a while back, um, a, a, an Australian-based one, just because I am Australian and hence why okay. my accent yep. is a little bit strange. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I was kind of on one of the sessions and we had a more of a meaningful conversation around what does it really mean to protect an individual's data privacy, essentially? Um, now, obviously, there are things around you know, backup and recovery. There's also data security. So we touched on a lot of topics there. But as we kind of started to talk about that, the amount of questions that we had, and I'm sure maybe some of your viewers will also have this too, our audience will have this too, but there was a lot of questions you know, from the general community around you know, what would you say you would do in these instances? And why would banks ever care about my, let's say, social security number when it's not really their problem? I mean, it's my digital identity, as an example. And of course, you know, some of the questions around, you know, CCPA and of course, all these regulations that are there. I mean, those are stock standard answers that I replied with. But also, one of the things that I told them was, well, it's also their brand awareness. Yeah. Because let's say Mm -hmm. one of those banks you know, had a major, let's say, expose, look, I, I don't think I'm going to be banking with them after that. Why would I want to go and do that? And of course, you as a consumer have the flexibility or the or the, the liberty to go and move across to another bank if you feel as though that you're not there in, in, within their security posture, uh, as an example. So I wanted to really just focus more around those topics in terms of you know, what does it mean as a consumer, as a father, as a personal, you know, a, a, a contributor to this society? You know, what can I do to enlighten people around this? And that's why I decided to go and, you know, write a few just thoughts uh, that pops up once in a while. Uh, haven't really maintained it very well, unfortunately. Um, but, um, you know, the goal was at some point, you know, if I could become someone who can assist people in understanding more around what does it mean from a data security perspective? I thought that might be a, a step forward for all of us to, as, as citizens or good citizens in the, in the society to provide something back. And that was the main reason for it. Okay. And what's the name of the blog? And do you mind maybe plugging the website? So, 
Right now, I mean, I do have a URL. It's just www.cooltime.com with a Y. So there's, it's not T-I-M, it's T-Y-M. It was actually one of the, the names that I used to enjoy when I was in college. Okay. Um, hence why my jerseys and everything is based on that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have a data security community blog uh, specifically for Australians. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can listen to it on their uh, Spotify or the Google Podcasts. Uh, and we were recording a couple, but we haven't really, uh, I mean, it only, it only just started. So the scale is nowhere near you, yourself, Demetrius. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we we have time for maybe one more question here, Frank. And um, the question I had, I guess the final question would be around in order for, let's say, a gumbo listener to gain full control of their data and protecting that data in their environment, what are one or two of the most simplest things that they can do in order to gain con- full control of their data? Good question, and I'll give you the two answers. One, make sure you have full control over the keys that are providing the necessary security for your personal or even your organization's uh, security posture is secure, and that's the number one thing that you want to remember. And the second thing is also remember that when it comes to data, it's not just what you see that matters. Also think about the data that is, again, in the cloud, is potentially in memory, it's currently in use. All of these data matter as well, because an attacker isn't just gonna come after you to go and steal the keys. They're gonna sit there and try and also, you know, sit, you know, there's this whole concept of side channel attacks as an example. If you think about all of those different attack mechanisms, you know, it's not what you see that sometimes matters, it's what sometimes that you don't see that is the number one thing that you want to be thinking about as you kind of think around data security in general. So those are the two main things that I would say would be the most important ones to look forward to. The other thing that I might just suggest um, to the audience here, you know, just in terms of digital uh, digital hygiene. Um, and again, this is a reason why, you know, we sort of developed the, the data security community blog, but really it's your own choice as well. It's your own digital hygiene. You know, if you do end up getting a a weird text asking for your keys to your house, would you really click on it? I don't think I will, right? And I think it's the simple things like that that really matters that we need to, you know, learn and be able to adjust to again, uh, rather than thinking too large, uh, because it does sometimes uh, you know, blow out of proportion once in a while. (laughs) Awesome. I I think that's some great advice. And as far as, you know, implementing those things, it, it should be something you know, fairly simple to do. And, you know, maybe you can check out Frank's blog and I'm sure he has some information on, you know, how to do some of those things. And Frank, also, is is it possible to maybe provide your social media handle if you would like Gumbo listeners to possibly connect with you on LinkedIn or maybe follow you? Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, you can connect me on LinkedIn. Um, my name is there. If you type Frank U at uh, Fortanix.com, uh, you'll definitely be able to go and find me <laughs> very, very easily on LinkedIn. Uh, more than happy to buy someone a coffee or even a virtual coffee, uh, if you will. Uh, so no issues there. Otherwise, I am also available on Twitter. Um, the handles uh, at DataSec uh, underline dude. So data security dude is really the, the idea behind it. Um, but look, otherwise, you know, ping me up. I mean, um, if you're on LinkedIn or, or Twitter, I don't really do any of the, the sort of next generation 
um, social media stuff uh, yet. I, I haven't had the chance to go learn those yet, like Discord and Twitch. What What's the next generation social media stuff? I don't know. I heard uh, Clubhouse is kind of in the mix. Is that how, what I'm hearing? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Clubhouse is old. It's old now. Oh, is it? Well, to me, it's been out for a few months and I jumped on, had a couple conversations and was like, eh, I think I'm done with this. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if you if you do have an invitation, please send it my way. I haven't even gone there yet. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll send I'll, I'll send you one. I'll I'll, I'll check and see if I, I have an invitation left. I'll I'll definitely send it to away, Frank. But uh, it was definitely a, an honor and pleasure to have you on the Gumbo, and you know, love your your insight. And I am also sure that the Gumbo listeners uh, walked away with the, with a few tips and tricks and hints around securing their their environment and taking full control of their data so frank it's definitely been a pleasure and thanks for coming on data protection gumbo once again thank you so much for having me and really appreciate your time as well demetrius thank you for listening to data protection gumbo please follow us on twitter at dpg podcast and join our backup and recovery professionals linkedin group just search backup and recovery professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.